0: to the New Testament book of Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians and Colossians in chapter number three. The book of Colossians and chapter number three. To catch everyone up, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae to try to help prepare them, anchor them down to weather the storm as a cult is beginning to form. And As we've walked through chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Colossians, we have discovered that the way to anchor ourselves from any attack is to be centered on the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be nailed down on what the Bible has to say concerning Christ, Christ and his deity, Christ and his humanity, Christ and his uh, uh, power and his omniscience. That we saw that Jesus Christ was the creator. That Jesus Christ is the one who owns everything and sustains everything. That Jesus Christ is the one that should have the preeminence. That he's not the top of the list. He should be the only one on that list. And that we should worship him and acknowledge him like no one else. That's going to be an important thing to put in mind. Because as we cover today's message, if Jesus Christ is not the only one on that list then it is going to be very hard to apply the message today that we have to see him as God and see him like there is no one else. If we have him on the top of our list that we say, well, the top of my list is Jesus. And then after that, my family and then my church and then whatever, uh, you're going to find it very hard to make the application that the apostle Paul is drawing because of how we see Jesus Christ. Then we saw on Sunday night the most critical message of this whole series to be complete in Him. And we saw a little bit about how the cults were going to attempt to work and how they were going to attempt to draw people away and how modern Christianity follows the same suit that they don't go away and that once again, our answer is to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the whole answer. The book of Ephesians speaks about having unity in church. How do we have the unity in church? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The book of Corinthians deals with the sin in the church. How do we avoid the sin of the church? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. As we go through the book of Colossians, how do we protect ourselves from false doctrine and from the false views? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. You see, it becomes. Becomes that simple but we don't do anything with it. So with that in mind, the first two chapters, as the uh, pattern of the Apostle Paul is, the first two patterns are doctrinal, theological, teaching. Then after that, the remaining chapters of an epistle are always doctrinal, meaning because of what we taught you, what do we do about this? Starting in chapter three, we have the application. Because chapters one and two speak highly about Jesus Christ and pointing up to him, what is our response? What do we do in our daily lives because of what was being taught? So with that in mind, look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Colossians chapter number three, the book of Colossians chapter three, and notice with me in verse number one, Colossians chapter three and verse number one, if ye then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above and not... On the things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience in the which ye have walked sometime when ye lived in them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase, if you don't mind, in verse number five, Colossians chapter three and verse five, notice the first phrase, mortify therefore your members mortify your members. And with the application of seeing Christ high, holy, and lifted up, and looking up at him, what is our response? Mortify, therefore, your members. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just help give us wisdom and mercy, help us to have an understanding and a proper application of this as you explain what this is to mortify our members. I'm asking that this would be a life-changing, eternally changing message because of the applications we make in our life. I'm asking that it is clear. I'm asking that it is understandable. And that it is something that we'd be willing to do, not because the pastor said so, but because of our view of Jesus Christ and acknowledging whom you are. That tonight, that someone would finally have the bravery to surrender their life. That someone would finally turn it over and let you be God. That tonight, someone would truly understand what it means here to mortify their members. Thank you, Lord change our life and our church tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. After spending much time with dealing the errors of the cult of Colossae, with a sigh of relief, Paul turns back to Christ. After spelling out what Christianity is not, Paul now shows us what Christianity is. The life of of the all-victorious, risen, ascended Christ is shared with each believers by the means of the indwelling Spirit of God. So remember before, he was talking about the cult and how the cult was putting lists and rules. How the cult was trying to do, may I say, learning to die to self, put to death to self by the flesh. You cannot put your own flesh to death by the flesh. It cannot happen and it will not happen. And yet the cult was trying to teach that. Whether it was legalism or asceticism, Whether it was dealing with the idea. What can we do to make ourselves right with God? And the Bible clearly says we have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. Now that's a nice Bible way. But to be honest we very much have confidence in the flesh. How do we know? Because God tells us here to mortify our members. He says, you refuse to die to self. Let me tell you the answer. Die to self. What does this mean? So let's examine here, if you don't mind, some things here in the book of Colossians chapter three. The first thing I want to bring your attention to is to seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Notice with me in verse number one. If ye then be risen with Christ... What is the secret of the Christian life? That we're risen with Christ. Christ died to pay the price for our sins. He rose again the third day to prove that he was God and that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. Now Christ has given us victory over our sins. We no longer have to sin. God through his Holy Spirit has enabled us not to sin in order for us to get to this place, we have to see ourselves risen with Christ. Jesus Christ has already gotten the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has already gotten the victory when he rose again over the penalty and the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. Now, most of us have been in our bodies long enough to know that sin is pretty much part of our life. And we... Get to the place where we surrender to it. Well, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can't help yourself. But if you are risen with Christ, absolutely you can. You no longer have to sin. You no longer have to fail. You no longer have to be stuck in the power of sin and let sin dominate and crush your lives. You can have victory. We must see ourselves as risen with Christ. Where is Christ, by the way? Notice in verse 1 If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. What are we seeking? We're seeking Christ. We're keeping our eyes on Him. We're looking at Him. What does it mean to be risen with Christ? It means that I'm keeping my eyes on Him, my Savior, my God. My creator, the powerful one, the one that sustains me, the one that is able. Now, by the way, if you have a small view of Christ, it is very hard to keep your eyes on him. If he's smaller than your problems, smaller than the things that you face, if he's not a big God to you, if you don't see him as God almighty, the very creator of the world, it is very hard to keep your eyes on him because there's a lot of things that distract us. There's a lot of things that cause us to look at ourselves and our circumstances and our problems. Instead of looking at him, we have to see him as a big God. Why is Christ here sitting on the right hand of God? It's the place of power. He's sitting next to God showing that he has access to all the power of the universe. He doesn't have a little power. He has all power. Remember, he was the creator God. And if he could create the world in all of its intricacies, in all of its harmonies, in all of its details, can he also help me in my life on a day-to-day basis? He absolutely can. And he cares enough and he wants to. He has all power. Think of all those times that we're defeated. Well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. God has all power to help you. Well, I just can't beat this. Yes, you can. Christ has all power. Our eyes have to be on him, the God of heaven, the God who has access to all the power of the universe. He is able to make good on all the fruits of his victory. Jesus didn't die and raise from the grave so we can sit in defeat. He did not raise from the grave and sit on the right hand of the father to watch us go after defeat, after defeat, after defeat, failure, after failure, after failure. That is not the life that Christ wants us to live. He doesn't want us to go from beat down to beat down to beat down. We are to live from victory to victory to victory because he has the power to do so. We have to keep our eyes on him. This is where we should live. We should live above where Christ is risen and full of power. We should be seeking the things that are above, namely Christ. We have to change our point of view and look at him. Why? Because we're dead already. Verse number two, set your affection on things above and on the things of the earth. That means our emotions. So many times our emotions are not tied into our looking at Christ. We look at Christ and like, help me. But our emotions are tied in. This problem, this issue, this pain, this defeat. Our emotions are tied in with the things down here set your affection. I want to please you. I want you to be honored. I want you to be glorified. I want you to prove yourself God over my circumstances. But our emotions are tied up somewhere else. We allow our emotions to be dominate us. The sense of helplessness, the sense of loneliness, the sense of defeat, the sense of ineptness, the sense of just, I can't, the sense where I don't know what to do. Our emotions are all tied into the things down here. And our affections are not above. Verse number three, four, ye are dead. Ye are dead. We died because of our sin. Christ gave us the victory and we are already considered risen with him. If we're risen with him, we are dead. Think about that. Contemplate that. If we're considered risen with Christ, didn't Jesus die before he was risen? If we're considered risen with him, we are already dead here. That is a statement of fact. We are already considered dead. Our sins are already been dealt with. We are freed from the power of sin. We are dead already if we're risen with him. If to have that access to the victory. We died because of our sins. Christ gave us the victory and we're already considered with him. We are hid with him. Verse three, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are beyond the reach of sin. We are beyond the reach of self. And we're beyond the reach of Satan when we're with him. Think about that. If I consider myself to be dead and I'm risen with him and I'm with him there. If I'm sitting with him in heaven, does sin have any reign in heaven? Does my flesh have any access to heaven? And can Satan touch me when I'm sitting right next to Jesus? Not at all. You see, this is a statement of fact that we don't understand oftentimes. And that we allow this world to overwhelm us. But we are risen above and sitting with him. And that we can have victory in our lives. This is a theological fact that we have to remember as we put our eyes on him. Our hope is that Jesus Christ is going to do what he said he was going to do. Verse four, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We know that one day our body's going up with him, but because of the spirit of Christ, we're with him now. We can have access to him. We can spend time with him. We can look at him. We can put our affections on him. That while we're in Colossae, we could be in Christ. The two places at once that we had spoke about. That even though you're stuck in this world, that's not our only location. We could be with him. And as long as we're still with him, we can have victory while we're here. We know that when Christ comes back, we get a brand new body. This body will not be able to sin against God. We'll be saved from the presence of sin. But currently where we're at... We are saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus took care of that at the cross. Present tense, we are saved from the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. And One day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. These are the stages of sanctification. And if our bodies will be like that then, it's good to start practicing and striving to live like that now. So with that setting up, remembering that Christ is risen, that Christ is sitting at the right hand of the father, has access to all the power of heaven. He himself is God. We put our affections on him and we look at him setting our eyes on Jesus. What is our application? Mortify your members which are on the earth. Here's the second thing and where we're spending the time. Mortify your members which are in the earth. In order to be filled with the Spirit, the very first step is to be dead to self. Our flesh must die. When we got saved, every single one of us now have two natures. We have the old man, which was not eradicated, but we have the Holy Spirit of God who comes and lives side of us, and we become born again. And we have two natures, and these two natures are at war with themselves, what does this mean? That means that when you got saved, guess what? Surprise, you could still sin. You don't have to sin, but you still do. But you have something inside of you that wants to be pleasing to God and wants to serve God. And that's the war. Paul spoke about it often. It said, hey man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's our daily war. That's, we're fighting against that all the time. We have these two natures. And how in the world do we win? We've got the old man and we've got the new man. We must deal with that old man. The new nature wants to be pleasing to God. The old nature just wants to be pleasing to itself. The only way to deal with the old man is to mortify it. What is that word, mortify it? To put it to death. Our flesh must be put to death. We'll be eager to mortify the flesh when we understand what our flesh entails. Why does our flesh need to be put to death? Because if you let your flesh have control, verse 5 tells you what your flesh is like. That when you let your flesh have its own reign, when you don't put it to death, this is what your flesh will do to you. Every single one of us, even if you are saved, this is what your flesh defaults to. Mortify therefore your members which are in the earth. Fornication. What is fornication? It's the idea of sexual desires. Every single one of us have to fight with that. Whether it's what you're watching or whether you're looking at, whether it's something that you're driving down the road and minding your business and they're. We have to deal with this. Our body defaults to a sexual nature. That's why the whole world is in sex o'clock. Everything deals with sex. Whether it's selling beer on television, it can't be sold without two beautiful models trying to show you how great beer is. Whether it's a couch, they can't show you a couch without some beautiful models trying to show you how beautiful the couch is. You can't buy a truck without some... You understand that all of it is dealing with the idea that sex sells. Why? That's our default nature. Even if we know that we're not supposed to look at it, we want to look at it. And we try to be like, no, I'm not looking. Our flesh defaults to it. It craves and desires it. Uncleanness. What is uncleanness? Filthiness. There's a lot of uncleanness we could just get into. It doesn't take much for us to find a mud puddle and just go get dirty. That's our flesh. It defaults. In Inordinate affection. What is inordinate affection? It's affection that you give that doesn't belong to... (laughs) You give away that doesn't belong to them. Inordinate affection. Meaning, there are some people that put their affection on things that really don't deserve that type of affection. For example, I have a lady that I've known for years. She's had three dogs pass. And each time a dog passes, she goes to three years in mourning. I'm at full-blown mourning, weeping and wailing of teeth. I can't go to work for three years because my dog died, type thing. All right, I understand pets are important and you should be sad if you love your cat, you love your dog, you love your parakeet or whatever you have. I understand. But three years of mourning is probably have the wrong affection, probably out of order somewhere. Um some guy may love his truck. More than his wife. Oh, he takes care of it. He makes sure it's cleaned and he spends more time with his truck than his wife. Probably inordinate affection. You know, we all fall in love with things that don't deserve that much love and affection. Whether it's a game or a television show. Or whether it's a person that our affection doesn't belong to. It is amazing to see how easily people can fall in and out of love. It is amazing to see how deeply that love can go that shouldn't belong to that person. That's our base flesh. It wants to love something. If it can't love people, it'll love a thing. It will find something to put its affection on. And the worst is the overlove of ourself. We love ourselves to a bad level. Notice it goes on. Evil concupience. This carries the idea of different passions and desires. That we put our passions, our emotions, and things that it shouldn't be. By the way, good emotions and bad emotions, if you want to call them that. My love, my anger. I could put my anger and my passion in something that shouldn't have my anger and my passion. I can have my righteousness and go on a social march because of something that is, we see this all the time. That is our default setting. You allow our flesh to be in charge and everything gets out of whack. What we're seeing here in verse five, this isn't the lost world. This is where we sit at right now. These are the things that we struggle with every day. And covetousness. But notice what the Bible says about covetousness. Uh, We'll describe covetousness. What is covetousness? It's desiring something that's not God's will for you to have. Covetousness is desiring something that's not God's will for you to have. You know, there are things that are good That God doesn't want you to have. I love a brand new truck. But right now it's not God's will for me to have it. And so if I sit here dreaming about a truck. I'm wasting a lot of time and emotions on something. That God doesn't want me to have right now. But we can covet. Whether it's a flame broiled whopper. Because we saw a commercial. Or desiring something. That we don't have. Or even in the ministry. I wish I had someone like Max running the sound. I wish I had this. I wish we had a bigger church. I wish we had these people. We could covet over everything. That's our default setting. But notice how the Bible describes covetousness, which is idolatry. What is idolatry? It's the worship of a false God. God calls covetousness the worship of a false God. Why? Because you're not satisfied with what God wants you to have. You want something that God hasn't given you. And it defaults to God's not right by not allowing me to have this thing. Adam and Eve. What was the sin that Satan caused them to do? Covet. Desire something it was not God's will for them to have. <laughs> That's it. And it caused the whole thing to tumble just because they desired to have something God told them it's not God's will for them to have. What what happened, they decided they were God and they knew better than God, which is now where we get to the place here. Why do we have to mortify ourselves? Why? Because we think we know better than God. We know better than God. God should just listen to me. And give me what I want because I know what I want. I know what I need. Why don't we obey God? Because we think we know better. Why is it that we're so slow to obey? Because we think we have a better plan. Or we're stalling till we find a different plan so we could do that. It's all about who is God in your life. Now we get to the heart of the matter. This idea of mortifying ourselves is all dependent. Do we see God as God? If we see God as God, then we'll be willing to mortify our members. If God is not God in our eyes, then we're not willing to die to self and obey Him. Let's define dying to self now. What is it that means dying to self? Dying to self is dying to our desires, our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, our plans, our decisions. Those are put to death. Why? Because God is God and he knows what he's doing. The God who created all of the world and made it to work perfectly Does he not know what's best for us? Or do you think that somehow he can make all the world and make it work in harmony and then our lives he just stumbles on, I don't know what to do with you. you. You choose, how about that? Does he not know what step you need to take? Does he not know how to get you to the best place in your life? And yet we fight and we moan and we groan and we stall and we disobey and we come up with a different way and we go, but, but I need to do this. No, 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 no. I'm going to do this. I think I should do this. If we see God as truly God, then our obedience is always yes. Whenever we disobey, it shows that God is not currently God in our life and thus we're not dying to self. Notice in verse 6. For the which things the wrath of God cometh upon the children of this obedience now if you start reading that as those heathen people then you miss the context that's us you see God who loves us says I know what's best for you listen to me I don't wanna but I'm trying to help you ah I got something better And God has to slap us around and get our attention to try to finally say, listen, I do know what's best. You're going to hurt yourself. For which things the wrath of God come to the children of disobedience. Whenever your response is not yes, sir, to God, then you are not dead to self. It is evidence you are not dead to self. It is proof that you're not dead to self. By the way, the Christian life if God is in his rightful place and we're looking at him becomes so easy because we don't have to make the decisions. What do I do? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I read my Bible? Do not read my Bible Do I go to church? Do I be happy? Do I smile? How do I treat people? It's all solved because all we have to do is say yes. Follow after him. You see, What we had covered on Sunday night is that the cults made everything complicated because they don't have the spirit of God guiding them. They just have their own flesh and they're trying to think out, how do I try to make it so we're good people? How do we try to make it so that we we can somehow try to do what's right? And we know it's impossible with our own intellect and with our own knowledge. And as long as we keep disobeying God, there's no way we're going to have his blessing and there's no way we're going to have what he wants us So what's our response to who God is? Mortify your members. Reckon yourself dead. All right, sounds great. What does that mean? How do I die to self? Romans 12, one and two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. What is our bodies? Our bodies are our five senses. Taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight. We give all of those things to God. God, I give you where I go. I give you what I touch. I give you what I listen to. I give you what I look at. I give that to you. Lord, whatever you want me to look at, that's what I look at. You know how much of your decisions will be made already if you say, I'm only going to look at the things that is approved by God? How many of the decisions in your life would already be easy if you say, I'm only going to listen to those things and enjoy those things that are approved of God? What music should I listen to? Is it pleasing to God? I don't know. Well, keep your eyes on him and Listen. You know how many things in our life would be made easier if we said, I'm just going to obey the things that God told me to do. This disobedience here is the evidence that we're not dead to self. Some people work so hard. I'm dying to self. And they, they close their eyes. and I'm dying to self. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to self. All right. I think I'm dead to self. Preacher says, go do this. I don't want to. Well, guess what? We just got your proof for you. You're not dead to self. If it's not instant obey. Now, by the way, we're not trying to say, listen to the cult leader and whatnot. We're saying if biblical authority is giving you something from the Bible, and it's not legal, moral, biblical, God's trying to guide you through it. God guides through biblical authority. It's the way that God set, shows you if you're obedient or not he makes it simple. You don't have to guess. Uh, am I dead to self or am I not dead to self? I don't know. Is there's no feeling to it. There was no angels. Was a, all right. So let me see if I'm dead to self. All right. Go to biblical authority and give them, ask them to give you something to obey and see and if your immediate answer is yes or you'll see if you're dead to self. See, I've lost everyone because nobody wants to do that. Why? Because we don't want to die to self. We like to think in our mind we're dead to self, but then we don't want to obey. But God says, this is the heart of it here. Mortify your members. Die to self. Surrender your goals, your desires, your dreams, your thoughts, your obedience to God. God, it's not what I want anymore, it's you. Now, again pause. If you take this outside of context and you don't put the keep your eyes on Christ. Why? Because he is God. For anyone who doesn't start off with he is God, then what I've just told you right now is what a cult leader would tell you. Listen to me and whatever. No, no, no. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him and die to self. You should surrender yourself because he is God. And you could trust him because he is God. He has all power and he has all knowledge. Why is it so hard for us to die to self? Because we don't see him as powerful God. We see him as small God. We see him as a God who needs our advice. A God who's too stupid to come up with his own plan. So he needs us to help him along and come up with something better. We serve a small God and we won't surrender to him. We want a God who helps us when we get in trouble, but stays out of our way on a daily basis. But that is not the God that Jesus got through speaking about. Jesus is a big God. Paul spoke about this Christ. So let's review God's part and then our part and the new life of faith, obedience, and holiness. God's part. He says, verse three, for ye are dead. What happened? God said, you are dead. He's, we're risen with him. What's our part? Mortify therefore your members. God says you are dead because of Christ. You're risen with him. I've given you victory over sin. You don't have to have sin dominate your life. You are freed from the power of sin. You are dead and see yourself risen in him. See yourself with him. Therefore, what God has already done all that work for you. It's not our work. God has already done it all. Our part, die to self. Mortify your members. God's part. God's part is an accomplishment. Ye are dead. Our part is an acceptance. Mortify your members. God's part the truth is revealed. Ye are dead. Our part is a daily act. Mortify therefore your members. Remember it's not, a, it's not a once and done thing. That's salvation. Paul says I die daily. For most of us. Multiple times daily. Anytime that you get control back. And you want to do what you want to do. And not obey God. You're no longer dead to self. You have to die again. By the way, you don't die on accident. You purposely reckon yourself to be dead. You purposely died your dreams, your goals. You purposely say, I'm going to obey what you've given me to do. Now, some people are kind of passive in their obedience. Well, Lord, if you give me something good to obey, I'll do that. But you know, if it doesn't kind of line up with my convenience. And we wonder why we don't have God's power when it is so available Because we refuse to mortify our members. We refuse to die to self. How do we know we're not dead to self? We're not willing to obey. Mortify therefore your members. It is a deliberate act to the revealed truth that makes the Christian life possible. We respond to what God has done. We respond to what God is. God says the old man is dead. We say, if God said so, then we believe it. I can trust God. You see, the Christian life is one full of power and glory. Not our power and our glory, but God's power and God's glory. The problem is, is that we refuse to die. Why is it that we refuse to die? We don't see God high, holy, and lifted up. Our affections are not above. We don't see ourselves set with him on the right hand of the father. We don't see the victory that he has. We come up with an excuse to be disobedient. God says, raise your children this way. Well, that doesn't sound like it's something I want to do. We've disobeyed. When we look at biblical authority and go, nah, I don't think so we're not dead. As long as we still have our members alive, then God is not going to work the way that he could work. This is the God of the universe. We just have to come to the fact, whose power do you want? What victory do you want? Do you want the one where you finally just claw and go through and fight your way through and say, listen, I did it and I made everybody miserable on the way here and I thought I was going to die, but I survived life. Would you rather give up and let God take all of those battles for you and allow you to have a lot more than you could ever accomplish on your own? But again, the problem is we don't want to die. We want our own life. We want our own way. We want our own abilities. We want our own reasoning. We want our own power. And we want our own results. And God knew better all along. What life do you want? Let's start at the beginning. Is Christ God in your eyes? Is he a big God? Is he a powerful God? Is he a God who is able? That if you see God high, holy, and lifted up, it is no problem at all to surrender. If even now you're having difficulty surrendering, may I say it's because God is not big in your eyes. He's still small. And that's where you need to start. Instead of trying to make your members dead, you need to make your God big.